week, we continue our discussion with Pete Kennedy of the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, where he'll describe the great apple muffin and oatmeal cookie confiscation by authorities in Michigan, several more ways in which our food freedoms are assaulted, and how Peter's role at the fund helps real farmers make a living while thoughtful consumers get access to the health-promoting foods that they want. Coming up next on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. So I'm sure you've heard that as you age, it gets harder to lose weight. Well, that's total bull because my friends, Laura and Veronica Chows, they can prove it. They're a mother-daughter duo, and they've lost 125 pounds between the two of them at ages 50 and 20. And they've kept it off for over two years without starvation, deprivation, or hunger. So now... You can learn their system and a whole lot more with a free 10-day trial to their online membership. They'll give you the diet, the recipes, classes, and more. Sign up today at nutritionheretic.com forward slash utmost diet. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the Nutrition Heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well being. Now, we've focused clearly on raw milk so far. Uh, what are some, I mean, actually, I'm just going to read <laughs> this headline Michigan MDARD, I'm assuming they're called. Uh, seeks destruction order of for 18 oatmeal cookies and 17 apple muffins. What's going on? Well, that's a bit dramatic. Uh, yes. <laughs> I oh, mean, that, come on. Now yeah, cookies and muffins. I mean, I'm, I, I don't eat a lot of cookies and, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of sugar. However, what's going on there? Well, that really did happen. Um, that case originated when one of these Hershey dairies in Michigan, i uh, described Hershey's to you earlier, right. was accused of making uh, people, uh, several people sick. And again, it looks to me like it's typical. You get one, two or three people uh, that get sick and somehow they, they they blame the dairy where there's really not that much evidence. And I, that was true in this case. But um, initially, these investigators came to the farm and they insisted that uh, they see the farmer's uh, shareholder list. And I sent that as an intrusion of privacy, yeah. just given the lack of evidence they'd had that the dairy was responsible. I mean, the, the farmer refused to let them on. So they came back with a warrant and they were in the process of their search. Just this farmer has a milk room. There's a table there. Um, a lot of times, I mean, she produces high quality milk. People come from a, just a good bit, uh, you know, an hour or more, some cases. And to pick up uh, the milk and there are other members of uh, leaseholders there who also might make their own foods and 
maybe you want to make a, a little money and at the same time just uh, provide the uh, share leaseholders something to eat when they're uh, producing their milk. And just this inspector saw these cookies and muffins. And usually they are exempt from regulation under the Michigan Cottage Foods Bill, except that there has to be a uh, label just saying this was prepared in an uninspected kitchen and, you know, the name of the producer. I mean, the, the only people who really came to that farm were members of the leaseholders. It's, we've always thought there should be a distinction between the public and private distribution of food. Right. And if ever there was a case where there should have been that distinction, it was this one. But the um, inspector to me just didn't use a whole lot of common sense. He, he took the cookies. He took the muffins. The farmer actually had a bottle of uh, kombucha for her own consumption there. He took that uh, because it wasn't labeled. So and then he um, they, someone had paid for a couple dozen eggs that I guess one of the other shareholders had dropped off one. I mean, one of the leaseholders had paid for a couple dozen eggs another one of the leaseholders had dropped off. So he, yeah, confiscated the eggs, said if uh, she wanted to continue with that arrangement, she needed a food warehousing permit. Mm. So, and, uh, you know, the whole thing was this, uh, this farmer didn't make a dime out of any of the foods that were confiscated. She was just doing it as uh, an accommodation uh, to her leaseholders. Right. So it, it um, yeah, it was just over the top. And, and the trouble is, is the some of these food laws are just so broad, like the Michigan food law, that um, technically uh, maybe it was a violation. But, you know, just how, how about a little common sense and how about reforming the law? Right. Uh, so there, you know, there is a, a clear uh, distinction uh, between uh, the two because it yeah, I mean, this is crazy. These people don't want, um, yeah, they're not interested in the government's protection. They're interested in not having uh, their food confiscated. Right, right. You, and so, you know, given given the nature of these these items that were taken, it's making me think of um, like church and school bake sales. Uh, you know, sometimes here when people have a yard sale, they'll also do a little bit of a bake sale. You know, their kids will put up, a little stand with some brownies and lemonade, let's say. Is all right. of this going well, to be sir, under attack too? Well, they've shut down lemonade stands before, I think. I mean, there was one where, I think this was in California, they were initially thinking of finding the stand a significant sum of money until, you know, someone restored sanity somehow. The, the legislature needs to understand that you've got more and more of these um, just private types of, of models for the distribution of food. I mean, there are more of these buyers clubs where someone meets in um, at somebody's house, another member of the buyers club. The different members of the buyers club make products for only um, uh, buyers club members. They get a little money out of it. You know, that's really none of the government's business unless there's some kind of credible evidence that uh, just um, adulterated product is being distributed. If that's the case, sure, the government has the power to break up a church picnic. But oh, in, until then, it, it, it's really it's really none of their business. Right. And it's just seems like a, a waste of resources when you see all the imported food that's coming into this country uh, right now. I mean, that's where uh, focusing their attention, I think. Or, or, or reigning in the GMO. I mean, let's start at home, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, between the pesticides. And unfortunately, that... 
I was just saying in, in you know in, in, in you know with the pesticides and all the other stuff we're letting into our food system yeah let's let's you know look in our own backyards first right and unfortunately it doesn't look like the GMOs are going to be reined in at all no um, and you know we're very sensitive it, to that here in Hawaii where they admit we have a very fragile ecosystem you know, it was uh, granted, right. yes, you know, the, the British brought over things, the Portuguese brought over things, the Americans brought over things, the Japanese, yada, yada, yada. However, while people are getting detained at the airport for having an apple from the mainland, Monsanto is, is freely growing their GMO papaya in on many of the islands. And and they yeah. tried to GMO the taro. They tried to uh, GM, you know, many or, or I should say GE. Uh, many of the um, foods down here. You can't tell me that I that my apple is worse than than any of this crap you guys are bringing in. Well, yeah, and unfortunately, it just seems like Hawaii's kind of a laboratory experiment for companies like Monsanto, which it's it's criminal. And, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's totally. There's no science behind it at all, and they're trying to pass it off as regular food when it's not. But right. it's. Um, doesn't look like that's going to be changing with a new administration, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, um, now, actually, you brought up Sally's name. She mentioned something decades ago, and I'm not sure if this was ever true. Was it, was it true at one point that there was a law being proposed that people could not let their dogs outside? And that on the back end, oh. the idea was that, uh, or yeah. at least keep them outside. On the back end, the idea was that they would rein in grass farming. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I haven't heard that, so I can't. Okay. I can't uh, tell you. I mean, we've dealt with a number of crazy laws, but it's yeah, I I haven't heard about that. Oh, okay. Uh, so what are the, some of the other things, you know, because, you know, some people might be listening and they're going, oh, well, I don't care because I don't drink raw milk. And, you know, no matter how much you and I know that people have been healed by this. And actually, we've even gotten Nicola on, on the raw milk train. <laughs> but uh, since listening right to on. this and the, and the Weston A. Price uh, podcast. Um, yeah. So, you know, what are some of the surprising places where people don't realize that their food freedom is being assaulted and that, you know, one day the only choice they're going to have, if, if this continues in this direction, the only choice they're going to have is the nasty swill that's made from pus and blood infected milk, uh, the, you know, packaged nonsense, the, the GMOs, et cetera. What are some of the surprising places that you think people just aren't even considering it right now? Well, one area we're working on right now is to, um, in effect, repeal the Wholesome Meat Act. Uh, mm -hmm. From It was an amendment to the Federal Meat Inspection Act in uh, 1967. What happened was, it, you know, when they passed that amendment, the agency, uh, USDA, basically took over uh, state uh, meat and poultry uh, regulation. And the state could inspect um, do their own inspection instead of the feds, but their their standards had to be at least as strict as the feds. And what happened was it just drove the cost up of complying with a law that I think in, you know, back in 1967, there were about 10,000 slaughterhouses in this country. And today they're, they're less than 3,000. Cool. And what, what's that done? 
what uh, that's done in states like Florida, where I am, is um, a lot of these states don't have state inspected slaughterhouses. They only have federal, federally inspected slaughterhouses and custom houses. And it's in Florida, it's difficult to get access to the federally inspected slaughterhouses. Some of them are just for the bigger outfits, you know, these vertically integrated food companies, uh, which control everything from start to finish, including uh, the slaughterhouses. And then uh, you have these custom houses where the only people who can get meat who are, are the people who own the animal at the time of slaughter. Mm. And most states limit the number of owners you can have. And what that does is um, cuts down the market for small grass face uh, farmers because there are plenty of people who'd be willing to buy meat from them by the cut, but they can't get into the slaughterhouse. Uh, they can't get access to the slaughterhouse. I mean, there's some states where they do have s- some access where I've heard it they have to make a reservation to get their animals uh, slaughtered a year before before time. And so what you have is that the demand for this local grass-fed meat isn't being met in a lot of areas in the countries. So, you know, your freedom of choice in those areas is, you know, do you want McDonald's or do you want Burger King? It's not the way uh, many people uh, think it is. Again, this is Representative Massey. He's working on a bill that would allow the sale of custom processed meat by the cut if the state legislature uh, uh, passed a law. So that's one area where people think they might have food choices, but many areas uh, of the country, they're much more limited than they realize. Right, right. So uh, tell us a little bit, uh, because I've asked you so much about the laws and the milk and the meat and all these things. Tell us what your role is at Farm to Consumer and how you support both the farmer as well as the consumer? Well, I mean, right now I I work on the um, day-to-day uh, member services. If there's a problem with a the regulator, they might call up. I'll, I'll deal with that again. And I've, I've worked on, and you know, these food seizure type cases before. The one thing I forgot to say about the muffins and the cookies is that before that, just about all the food seizures, we did dairy. So this was new for us. The other thing I do, though, is I work on uh, policy, work with members and states in drafting uh, legislation to, to um, ease the, you know, create a more favorable regulatory climate. I just, one of the things we found out is you can have uh, best soil, healthy livestock, uh, great marketing plan, but if you've got a poor regulatory climate, it doesn't matter. I mean, ultimately our goal is just to give people the, the choice to buy directly from an unlicensed, unregulated producer if that's what they want. But um, now, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we're just trying to deregulate somewhat, uh, create more favorable um, regulations uh, for producers to operate in. And on the policy level, we've basically been working in like four or five core areas. I mean, one is uh, these cottage foods where people are... um, Producers are able to sell baked goods, jams, jellies, maybe fermented vegetable products uh, without, with little or no uh, regulation. And most of the states have passed cottage foods laws by now. Some are definitely better than others, but it's a trend that's gone in the right direction. Um, yeah, then just a second area would be uh, on-farm processed poultry. Okay. Uh, there's a, a federal law that allows farmers to 
slaughter and process up to 20,000 birds a year on their property wow. uh, without inspection. Inspection meaning wow. no, no one has to be present when the slaughtering is taking place. Right. And we actually, for people that are interested, we actually just put up a, a poultry map on our website, oh, cool. just detailing the exemption. It's a, a thousand birds and twenty thousand birds, and we're detailing which um, uh, states have adopted both exemptions, which have adopted just the one thousand, what states have adopted kind of a hybrid, and what states haven't adopted any. And the only state that hasn't adopted either exemption is uh, surprise, surprise, Arkansas, the home of Tyson Foods. Mm. That's uh, a second area. I mean, just there's a federal, yeah, the, there's this federal exemption. It's up to the states to adopt it. And we just work on, you know, worked on legislation where a state does formally adopt it. I mean, it's one of the better, this federal poultry exemption is one of the better uh, food bills that Congress has ever passed. Right. And then just a, th a third area would be, uh, on-farm slaughter of meat animals and uh, custom slaughter. I mean, the, this bill we were talking about, which is called the Prime Act, um, is one of our efforts there. But, you know, the federal exemption allows more leeway than a lot of the states are using uh, right now. Like, you, you can slaughter uh, animals on your own farm. I mean, what I've been told by USDA is that as long as you have at least a partial ownership, you being the farmer, uh, other people can have an ownership interest in that animal too. And you can give, uh, as long as the interest was there at the time slaughter took place, you can distribute milk uh, to those other folks. And then we have uh, just raw milk and raw milk products is a, that's a, a separate area all on its own. Like I said, most of the states have uh, allowed the legal distribution of raw milk in one form or another. Surprisingly, not that many have allowed the sale or distribution of cream, butter, or not nearly as many other products. Because, I mean, I think overall raw milk has a, a good uh, track record for safety, but almost no one gets sick off butter from what I've seen and very few people uh, from uh, raw cream. So, yeah, it's kind of two steps in that area. Get the raw milk laws out of the way, then just um, try and get the laws allowing the sale or distribution of value-added raw dairy products I mean, even though it's definitely not a safety issue, again, um, value added is where it is. So the dairy industry is reluctant to let um, raw milk farmers get a piece of that action. And then finally, fifth area, the one you'd ultimately like to see is, yeah, I just call super cottage foods, which is practically any food uh, you can sell. I mean, there are some exceptions because of the Federal Meat Inspection Act. Is short of that, or actually the Federal Poultry Act too, but short of that, just about any food. Uh, can be sold. And for instance, we were talking about the, you know, the unaged raw cheeses. I mean, the states can can um, sell those. I mean, state law, you can sell those within intra-state commerce right right now. Okay. But it's just not that many states oh. have, have uh, um, passed laws on that, probably due to pressure from FDA, USDA, or both agencies. So um, Wyoming actually passed a bill a couple years ago where except for meat products, Meat, meat products. Anything else can be sold without a permit. Direct farm uh, to consume, farmer to consumer, or home kitchen to consumer. So, you know, from a food safety standpoint, you've got what the food safety people call transparency or traceability. It's not like getting sick on a hamburger at a restaurant that where the meat comes from eight different countries and ten different states. 
with this local food, it's a matter of picking up the phone, calling the producer. So you've got uh, this tight loop. And in some cases, like these herd, you know, the, the herd lease example I gave to you earlier, I just call it a closed loop uh, transaction right. where there's complete transparency and traceability. I mean, I've seen cases where it did look like actually someone to get sick from consuming raw milk. And it was um, through one of these herd share agreements. And yeah, there's no need to uh, put out a public uh, announcement. Like usually when there's a recall or yeah. there's a suspicion people got sick from a t particular yeah. food, they'll, yeah, they'll announce it on the nightly news, put it in the papers, the department will issue a press release. Sometimes the producer will issue a press release. Well, I've seen a couple of these herd share cases where there's no le need to issue um, any release. I mean, all the people who could have been affected were covered right? by, you know, right. either the farmer sending out, you know, giving a heads up or uh, the investigator. Right, right. Yeah. And it doesn't, so, it doesn't even make sense for that to hit the public eye if it's 20 people right. involved, you know, and they can. It, I mean, it's one thing yeah. when you're crossing seven states to get your spinach <laughs> or scallions or whatever to people. And yeah, then right. definitely you need to know across, uh, you know, having out on the news. Well, just one other thing I was going to say, Adrian, was that the, you know, one of the things we're worried about is this FDA Food Safety Modernization Act, which is just a, you know, there are exemptions to, which fortunately most of our members qualify from some of the worst provisions of it, but it is something that can put a lot of people out of business if they are subject to those provisions. Right. Um, you know, there's a, a food safety plan requirement for food processing, which is very onerous if you're subject to it. And there's uh, the national produce safety standards for, um, you know, most or many produce growers. And what this is going to, to do, I think, is increase our reliance on imported food. Because mm. supposedly they're going to inspect uh, the foreign firms too, but they're not going to inspect them as much. They might rely on a third party where you know, maybe a thorough job isn't as done with the inspection as it should have been. And so I think sorry to sorry to cut in, but this is what is happening here in Croatia because there was a recent outbreak of uh, salmonella. So I'm not sure how do you say it uh, in English, but uh, the thing is, it's the same thing Peter was talking about happened here. So a lot of our own uh, food doesn't get used you know we we used to produce all of our foods and now more than half if not more than 17 percent of food is being imported and what happened was that that chicken which came through the customs uh, wasn't properly inspected so there were major failures in both chicken and eggs and that caused uh, quite a bit of illness. And I think around three or four people died from it. It was a major mistake. And it was really, it, it was really showing the difference between how uh, domestic products are being inspected and handled and how important goods are being uh, inspected because they don't go by the batch. They go, I don't know, they, they, take, they take one sample and they do just not a really thorough job with it. And if everything is right, right then the, the whole shipment can go in. You know, there's no problem whatsoever. 
and they're far more scrutinous with uh, with domestic products and you're more likely uh, less likely to encounter any disease with our products but you know since the majority of the produce is being imported it's um, less likely to run into uh, our own products that are being sold as um, you know as domestic as a product of this country yeah yeah it, yeah. what uh, yeah just w- what you're getting i don't think fda has ever said they've been a- they've inspected more than something like two percent of the imported food it might even be just one percent yeah so you you're getting all this food you know possibly made under uh, unsanitary conditions coming in from thousands of miles away these long supply chains and yep. it, it's just i mean food is r- really food production is the first part of your national defense i think you want your um, communities and regions to be as self-sufficient in food production as possible i mean the the um kind of farmers who are members i look at them as frontline healers i mean they uh just produce uh, the the quality uh that benefits health doesn't uh hurt it and uh this reliance and emphasis on exports and imports these trade deals are just really destructive uh, to our nation's agriculture yeah because uh we are in the european union and it is uh, part of the deal when you uh, step in you know you have these regu- regulations how much uh, you must uh, how much are you obliged to import so there's that question as well and most of the things that we import are completely unnecessary because we can produce all of them right here and with far better quality yeah, I noticed right. uh, last it, time, it, it, I was just going to say that last time I went to Spain, I noticed the same thing. Like, the, you cannot get a Spanish-grown vegetable, pretty much. Like, almost everything comes from some other part of Europe or, or Africa. Yeah. There's very, very little. And actually, right. the, I did find a, a few grapes one day in, I think it was in Barcelona, I found a, so, some grapes that were local, I was told were local, and they were all moldy. And that, that was the extent of it, but everything else, yeah. of which there wasn't even that much variety to begin with, but still, it all was imported from France, England, North Africa, et cetera. And I, I think, yeah, there are just policies out there that are, are designed to um, make countries more dependent on uh, imported uh, food. One example of that is just when... Um, you know, the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund get part of the solution the World Bank or IMF comes up with is to help them pay down the debt by producing food for export. So they cut down the production of foods that are consumed in their own countries and ramp up the foods produced for export. It you know, doesn't promote food security at all. Right. Yeah, it's that's yeah, it's 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 pretty entangled for sure. Um, Now, one of the things that you also do there at uh, Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund is you actually help the farmers when they get accosted by government agency to to see through their their legal bills. Correct. Right. Our members get a, a lot for what they pay. Just our like our, our annual fees for farmers are $125 a year. And what they get with that, they get unlimited consultation with attorneys on matters that are within our mission statement. 
uh, we have a toll-free hotline if you know there's a unfriendly visit uh, from surprise visit from a, a government inspector. We usually have an attorney available to help them uh, uh, through that. You know, we also have a, uh, a farmer that get farm consultations uh, with us, and if there is like a formal uh, judicial or administrative hearing, what usually happens, and with very yeah, I'd say with very rare exceptions is that if we have a legal committee, if they vote to take on the particular case, it's not going to cost the uh, farmer a, a dime beyond their membership. Mm. I mean, the the best example I can give you is our acting president, Elizabeth Rich, won a case in Wisconsin right uh, a few years ago. She was co-counsel along with this other Wisconsin attorney. Uh, we had a member, Vernon Hershberger, that was charged with four criminal misdemeanors for violating the state food and dairy law. And it was a five-day trial. There were all kinds of pretrial hearings. Um, he wound up getting acquitted on three of the four uh, counts. And uh, the, the one county he was found guilty of didn't stop him from continuing on, on what he was doing. Uh, but anyway, the, um, we probably... Our expenses through that trial were probably sixty to sixty-five thousand dollars. Where I've had attorneys tell me if that was handled by a private firm, it you know might have been eight to ten times that, maybe even more. Holy mackerel! So, yeah. and I'm sure, I'm sure the state of Wisconsin spent a lot more money on the case than we did. Right. Well. So yeah, I mean we 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 try and level uh, the playing field and. If we're representing someone, just the state's chances of uh, depleting the farmer, their resources go down. I mean, we can't pay their their feed bill or their uh, personal expenses, but we can take all their legal expenses. So the chances of the state just winning some kind of uh, some kind of war of attrition uh, decrease. Well, you know, thank you so much for for the work that you do, because uh, without people, I mean, you're an attorney you could have gone in in any direction not you personally necessarily but you know what i'm saying many people get into it for the money let's just say uh and it's incredibly heartening to know that you're truly standing up for the little guy you know the and and probably the the most integral uh person in our lives our collective lives is our farmers uh, whether or not people want to believe that, well, you know, I, even if they think they're co they're comfortable eating all imports, whatever, you know, it, this these food freedoms yeah. are incredibly important to safeguard, and and the implications for other countries as well, because so many countries use the U.S. model, whether through bullying on our part or uh, or just you know wanting to be part of this so-called progressive society modern society, a lot of countries, particularly I saw a lot in the Caribbean of, of countries that were adopting a lot of, a lot of similar laws. Uh, so yes, thank you so much. Well, one thing I can tell you for sure, Adrian, is we are a true grassroots organization. We've never, never taken a dime in government funding. I mean, the only corporate money, as far as I know, that we've gotten has, has been from small, like-minded business. And um, the bulk of our revenue, um, membership fees and uh, individual uh, uh, donations, you know, most of which are not tax deductible. I mean, thankfully, within the, the past year or so, we formed a, like a sister 501c3 foundation, okay. which is 
meant to help out with our litigation uh, efforts. But um, yeah, we've just maintained our independence and haven't let any corporate or government money um, get in the way of us uh, carrying out our mission. Right. Well, uh, congratulations on that. And again, thank you. Um, any parting words before we let you go? Well, I, I encourage uh, people to join. I mean, everybody eats. So even if you're not a farmer, you're still a, a consumer. You can uh, go to our website at www.farmtoconsumer.org. It's www.farmtoconsumer.org. You can uh, join online if you have any further questions. For any questions about our, our organization, there's uh, an email address and a number there uh, you can call. But um, we're people that are uh, passionate about what we do and we think we made an impact and want to make a bigger one. All right. Well, thank you so much again, uh, everybody. Please go to farmtoconsumer.org to learn more and to donate. Uh, remember from the episode with Charlotte Smith, every two years she was she was shopping for milk and meat again because her farmers were going out of business. And not only for the uh, uh, financial issue of, you know, just not charging enough for their products, but also uh, possibly because some of them were put out of business by corporations and our own government. Farmtoconsumer.org. Check it out. Thank you so much. And uh, please uh, keep us up to date, Peter, with with your developments and your successes. All right, well, thanks for having me, Adrian. Okay, well, thank you. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher.